Bibles and turn to the book of Titus. servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life which God who never lies promised before the ages began. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you, Lord, and we ask that you would open up your word to us. Even more than that, Lord, we ask you to open up our understanding of who you are. God, that we would uh, be in awe of you, that we would find our hope and our confidence in you, and all of this because of who you are. So I pray today for your anointing of your spirit to be able to preach your word. Help me to be led by your spirit, God. And I pray for the hearts that are here listening, God, that they might, uh, the soil might be tilled up and the word that is is that goes forward would bear fruit for your glory, Lord. Do this. Do this today, God, so that your name would even be praised more in this place. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the world is crazy, isn't it? And you don't know what's real. You know, you got AI, artificial intelligence. Lisa and I were looking at, uh, watching a commercial. We said, something's not right about that kid on this commercial. And we were asking each other, I wonder if that was AI. Is that generated? You know, they have now you type in and, and you, you hear something. Somebody responds and you wonder, is this a real person? You do not know what is real anymore. And uh, it goes so far as even uh, into relativism in the seminaries where uh, relativism is there's no absolute truth. It's only relative or subjective to your own self. So now even in some semin- seminaries, uh, you find people saying, well, you know, I, I, yeah, it, 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 for you that's what that means in Scripture. But for me it means something else. And so we don't take the word of God and we don't uh, say, no, this word means this. And so what we've done now is in the entire, uh, in the church, we've seen a shifting in what we would call uh, sound orthodox doctrine, that this is sin, this is not. And we've said, no, nah, well, this really isn't sin. This is, this, this is what this word means. And so what occurs is that um, we're looking for truth. It's so hard to define it. Where do you find it? And, and, and the term that Christians use, that we use, that I'll use today is absolute truth. People would be offended. There's, there's places and churches where people would leave by me preaching this message because I am assuming something about God and I'm assuming something about life. And that is that absolute truth comes from outside of the world and gives meaning to the world. And that is true because God, and this is my main point, God is truth. So he always speaks truth and always does 
what he says and promises. Because God is truth. In a world where we're looking for it, we have a book filled with it. And it's absolute truth. Well, Paul was the author of Titus. He wrote it somewhere between 63 and 66 A.D. from Corinth. Uh, he wrote this letter in between 1st and 2nd Timothy. Okay? Well, it makes sense because 1st and 2nd Timothy are the first uh, two pastoral epistles that we read. Well, this is the third. The third of three. And he was writing to young pastors, giving them a lot of advice and counsel. And what you'll find if you read through Titus, and I really want to encourage you every week to read through the books numerous times, especially these short ones. Titus you could have read every day, right? And same thing with the next book, Philemon. You can read it every day and get through it to prepare your hearts for the, for the message. <clears throat> but if you read through Titus, it sounds very similar to 1 Timothy. That's because the dates are very close together, the subjects are similar, and so are the purposes. So, yeah, they sound a lot alike. Take a look. Here's an outline of Titus. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 is the introduction. Chapter 1, 5 through 16 are instructions for church organization. Sound doctrine is what he's talking about there. Uh, appoint qualified elders. These are essentially the same qualifications as 1 Timothy 3, 2 through 7. You know, use them the same way. And then verses 10 through 16, dealing with false teachers. So he's talking about protect sound doctrine. And then in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, 11, instructions concerning Christian conduct. This is the application, the practical application of what? Sound doctrine. So you have the foundation above. This is what sound doctrine is. This is how you establish it. Now out of that comes the way we live as Christians because of the foundation of sound doctrine. Instructions for concerning Christian conduct. 2, 1 through 3 is for older men and women. Uh, 2, 4 through 8 for younger women and men. Uh, chapter 2, 9 through 10 for servants. And then theological basis for Christian living. And finally in 3, verses 1 through 11, instructions for doing what is good. And then 3, 12 through 15, the conclusion. So that's the outline of Titus. Now we know very little about Titus. We really don't know much about him. We know he was Greek, and he's referred to 13 times in Paul's epistles. He was with Paul on Paul's third missionary journey. He was one of the people that brought, I think it was 2 Corinthians, to the Corinthian church. He was kind of Paul's uh, emissary in that sense. And um, Paul appointed him the head elder pastor of the church in Crete. So he was a young guy uh, in charge of this newly formed church. Uh, Crete is a large island off of the Greek coast. And it was a notorious island. You remember how Australia started out? They dumped all the criminals from, uh, was it uh, England? There are a bunch of criminals out there. It reminds me of Crete back then. It just sounds like a... A, a terrible place because they were uh, notorious for treachery, violence, corruption, and lying. That was their reputation. Take a look. It even says so in Titus. Titus chapter 1, verse 12. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, he was a secular prophet, okay, said, 
Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Wow, what a testimony. Can you imagine that if somebody said, yeah, you know, everybody in La Crescent is a bunch of liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. What a testimony. Well, that's what this, uh, this particular island was known for. And now these people who were a part of this culture uh, hear the gospel and get saved by God's grace and His mercy. And yet they're still dealing with their stuff, their garbage, just like we all do. You know, we, I was saved back in, I think it was 83, and you still struggle with things. Well, this is their family history. This is what they're struggling with. And... Um, what we see is that uh, part of the reason they think they were called liars was from the Cretans claiming that the tomb of Zeus was on, uh, on the island of Crete. Well, if he's a god, how is he dying anyway? I mean, that makes no sense. So uh, they were known as liars. As a matter of fact, the verb to Cretize was slang for lying and cheating. So there you go. There you go. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, there were certain nationalities that if you said you were this type of a nationality, people automatically say, oh, you're like this then, you know. And um, not so much anymore today, but back when I was young, that was what is If you were Polish or if you were German or if you were Belgian or whatever you were, there came a tag because that, were, oh, yeah, that well, you know, all Belgians are like this or all Polish people are like this, you know. And um, that's kind of what that was happening here in this particular uh, area. Well, what Paul does is, I, I think he reveals a little bit of his missionary plan. In, in other words, when he went into an area and he was going to establish a church, I think he reveals a little bit of that here in uh, Titus. What he does is he goes in and he preaches the gospel, and then it seems uh, that there are people who respond by God's grace and receive that gift of salvation. And then what it appears that he does is he starts then developing sound doctrine. He starts telling them about God. He gives them knowledge about God. Who is this God? And then from there what happens is that usually results in them having a hope for the future. And because of this foundation of who God is, and then having a hope for the future, it affects how people were living in the present. It would affect them with, uh, by God's Spirit changing them and purifying their lives. There would be a holiness that would be developed because of this foundation that was being laid. Take a look here. God's Word. Titus 1, 1 through 2. Paul, a servant of God and the, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, so he's laying it down. You're, you are the believers, so I'm approaching you with this information. And he goes on. And their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. Notice again, the context. Cretans were liars. And so what you're going to find if you read through Titus is there's these words that keep coming up. Trustworthy, trust. All these things. And here we have it. He starts it right out. He's understanding his audience. And he's saying, hey, listen, uh, and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. So he's saying that's how it builds up. In hope of eternal life, which God 
who never lies. Again, two times in the first two verses, he's talking to these Cretans. And he promised before the ages began. God doesn't lie. One of the things that, they, that if you do a little study in this particular area about Zeus, who was the god of that island, he was notorious. He was supposed to be one of these connivers and liars. And so that's part of what uh, they're happening. They have this idea of who their god is, Zeus, and he's this conniver and liar and, and character. And then Paul's coming out and saying, well, this is who the Christian god is. He's not a liar. He doesn't lie. So he's just he's kind of crashing their religious foundation and which is it has affected their society saying this God is different. We find in Hebrews chapter 6:18 by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Not even possible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. He's saying God can't lie. Because God can't lie, all His promises are true. So you have hope. You have hope. Not about your performance. It's about God. And then we find in Jeremiah 10, 10a, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. And what Paul is doing is laying out this foundation. And it's good for us too. You know, sometimes people say, well, doctrine, oh, you guys, I don't get into all that stuff. Doctrine affects how we live. Our understanding of who God is, the greater we understand who God is, the, great, the, 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 the more intimate our walk will be, and all kinds of fruit from that. And that's what A.W. Tozer was saying. The Christian is strong or weak, depending on how closely he has cultivated the knowledge of God. I think for one year we went through and we just talked about different aspects of God. We wanted to do this. We wanted to make give you a vision of a big God. We knew in this church that when you understood the greatness of our God, when you understood His character, who He is, everything, as much as we could about Him, that as your knowledge of God grew, your faith would grow. And that would affect how you would live daily. And so that's what Tozer is saying. Greater, you know, you're strong or weak, depending on your knowledge of who God is. Do you know God? So sound doctrine for lying Cretans is that many may have truth, some truth, but only the Christian God himself is absolute truth. That's what Paul's telling us. You want to know who God is? This is who God is. He is truth. All that the Lord knows, all that the Lord thinks is true and correct. It is absolutely sure and it is reality. It is reality. I don't care what anybody else says. What God's Word says about God and His knowledge is true. It is reality. It doesn't matter what the world says. It is reality. 
And because all Scripture is God-breathed, we talked about that last week. This is a little bit of an overlap from last week. But I thought, you know what, that's okay. God's Word was focused on last week. God's Word has to be part of the focus this week. Because all Scripture is God-breathed, and God is absolute truth, then we come to this conclusion that God's Word is totally true. Totally true. It is completely honest, and thus it is the final standard for all truth. God's Word is. Take a look at God's Word. Job 37.16b The wondrous works of Him who is perfect in knowledge. Perfect in knowledge. Omniscient. God knows all things. His knowledge is absolutely perfect. Why do I say that? Because I believe God's Word is God-breathed, and God cannot lie, and God's Word says this. That's the grid that I, I think through. John 17, 17, Jesus speaking, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Proverbs 30, 5b, every word of God proves true. 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. 2 Peter 1, 20-21, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy has ever... Pre- was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This word is not men's ideas. It is God's very word. And God never lies. As a matter of fact, it's impossible for Him to lie. Because then He wouldn't be God. You see, the author of Scripture is omniscient. He knows all things, all facts about the past. He knows all facts about this very moment, around the world, everything. He knows it all. And he knows all the facts about the future. God's omnipresent, big fancy word for God, is present always, everywhere. Past, present, future, somehow, I don't get it, but He is. That's my God. And so I rest in the fact that He has all knowledge. He knows everything perfectly. Where else would I go for advice but God's word? You see, truth and reality about God, about creation, about men, you and I, truth and reality about death and eternity, truth and reality about all things is in Scripture, the Word of God. Why? Because it is God-breathed. God is absolute truth. 
God cannot lie. See, that's a pretty simplistic way to look at life. Maybe so. But I'll put my, as I like to say, I'm going to shove all my chips in the middle of the table and put them on Jesus. I stand on the Word of God. This church stands on the Word of God. And if worldly beliefs conform with the Word of God, then it's true. And if there are worldly beliefs that do not conform to the Word of God, then it's false. You say, well, yeah, but maybe either we've interpreted Scripture wrong, we're reading into it where it doesn't say something, or the world just hasn't caught up to God's truth yet. Because absolutely, you know, God's already ahead of the world anyway, right? And so when we look at truth in this world, and they say, well, this is truth and that is truth, and you read the Word of God and go, that doesn't sound right. God made two genders, not 27. And you were created from birth, male or female, by God. God doesn't make mistakes. I know that's, that's just edgy to say. Isn't that crazy? Five years ago that wasn't edgy to say. But God's Word is true. And we'll stand on God's Word. The only certain truth is truth that God has revealed in His Word in the Bible. And that's where we take our stand. Where else are we going to go? You see, Jesus Himself is truth. Jesus Himself is truth. Because He was and is fully God. Right? He's the total embodiment of absolute truth in human flesh. Take a look at God's Word. You don't need to believe me. What does God's Word say? John 1.14 The Word, referring to Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In John 18, 37 through 38. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate, speaking to Jesus and numerous people today with the same question, What is truth? Doesn't that sound like the word world today? You just see how in Ecclesiastes it says there's nothing new under the sun. This whole idea of relativism, that's not new. There's Pilate. What is truth? Nobody knows what truth is. We don't know what truth is. That's the argument of the world. That's the argument of some believers. We don't know what truth is. Yes, we know what truth is. God is truth. He's given us a whole book full of truth because it's from Him and He cannot lie. What is truth? Here's some truth. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Verse 16. And I will ask the Father, 
And He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of Truth. Interesting, isn't it? We see here a picture of our triune God. Jesus saying, I am the truth. And He's saying the Spirit of Truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him. For He dwells with you and will be in you. How do I know the Holy Spirit dwells within me? Because God's Word says it. I don't feel it. I didn't, you know. I'd... But I believe it because God's Word says it. And Jesus laid it out. He made a claim. There is no danger in being deceived of believing what Jesus said. You know why? Because He's God. And what, what can't God do? God can't lie. Can't. So, what Jesus said is true. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He's laying out the gospel right there. He's saying it's through me. It's not through your works. God, the Heavenly Father isn't weighing your good works out against your bad. And hopefully if your good outweigh your bad, you get to go to heaven. That's not what's happening. Because the problem is your bad works are still bad works. And you can't just ask God to erase them because you, you, you know, like a guy who committed murder, and say, I just had a bad day, just forget about that. No, there's consequences to sin. And because God is a just God, there's got to be consequences. So we've sinned. We're separated from God. And God in His love and in His mercy sent His Son who came and put on flesh. God in the flesh. And lived that perfect sinless life without sin and thought, word, or deed. Then went to the cross and was punished because God is just. All sin must be punished because it is an act of violence against God. And Jesus was punished for sin that was not His own. For all who would believe. So God could be just and the justifier. Through Jesus, we are justified with God. So that all who would receive the gift of salvation would be saved and have eternity in heaven with God. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Eternal life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way. I don't care what anybody says. Because the the conclusion would have to be then Jesus lied. There are other ways. But Jesus is God. And He can't lie. And I get all the arguments, but I'm saying as a believer, this is where I stand. Jesus can't lie. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way to salvation other than Jesus Christ. And if you believe anything else, I would say this. You're believing a lie. Because if it doesn't line up with the Bible, then it's not true. And Jesus said, I'm the only way. You see, when we get right down to it, the essence of true faith is taking God at His word. Isn't it? When you get right down to it, boil it all down. The essence of true faith is taking God at His word and relying on Him to do 
what he promised. Isn't that what faith is? We're trusting that God is true, that he does not lie. He cannot lie. That he is good and holy. And this truth had to be laid down to the Cretan people because of their experience of their false god who was a conniver and a liar. And so, well, maybe he tells me I'm going to have eternal life, but what if he's lying? And then Paul is laying it down. The Christian God, Jesus Christ, does not lie. And if he says you have eternal life, you have it. Because he cannot lie. Wow! Think about being a Cretan and hearing that. And how that would just wreck what you believed as a young child growing up. How that would wreck things. I remember so many times in my past uh, where I, I was like a new believer. And I remember calling up this, uh, this one person that was a strong uh, a believer that was kind of helping me in my faith. And I remember for the first time reading that Jesus' mother and brothers and sisters came to see Jesus speaking. And I freaked out. I remember calling this person. Did Jesus have brothers and sisters? And they go, yeah. You know that book of James? Yeah. That was Jesus' half-brother. I went, what? Everything I had been taught. I'm going, are you kidding me? Jesus had brothers and sisters, half-brothers and sisters. That's what they were. I kind of reflect that back to that moment this week when I was reading about these Cretans hearing this about God and thinking it must have been the same kind of an effect. Well, now, wait a minute. We have this other God. His name is Zeus. He's always lying. We can't trust anything. And you're telling me this? This just changes my view of what a God is. Yeah, kind of, sort of. That was the, the point that Paul was making. You've got to have knowledge of this God. You've got to know who he is. You see, God is honest in every way. Every way. So he will never renege on any of the promises that he has made. Never. He can't. Or he wouldn't be God. And that is the reason why our hope of eternal life with him forever is assured. Because of who he is. Not because of our performance. Take a look. Paul's talking about it here in Titus again. Titus 1 and 2. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect Christians and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, lines up, the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. How are you sure? How can you be sure? Because God promised it before the ages began. That's why. That's where my confidence is in. Then he goes on in Titus 2, 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in, this pres- in the present age, waiting for a blessed hope. So he sees, saying, we're going to live these godly lives, and part of the way that we're able to do that is we're waiting for this blessed hope. 
This blessed hope, this hope of the future, eternal life, affects us today. It affects how we respond to this broken, screwed up, crazy world. It says this is how God's calling us to this holiness, to be Christ-like. And part of the way that we can continue to be, uh, to persevere in it and to endure is to remember the hope of the future. That helps us today. That's what he's saying. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You are his. He purchased you with his, his blood for a purpose. And then we go on Titus 3, 7. So that being justified by his grace, and I use the term justified just as if I'd never sinned because Christ paid the punishment for me and his righteousness is imputed to me. God considers it as if I lived that perfect life. That's what it means. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to what? The hope of eternal life. Paul keeps coming back to that in Titus. He keeps coming back to the fact that God is the God of truth. He does not lie. He is trustworthy. And he has made a promise. And he made that promise from before the world began. And he said all who would put their, their faith in Christ would be saved and spend eternity in heaven with him. And he keeps coming back to that, saying God promised this, and God's not a liar, so you know this is true. And in a world that was breaking down back then, it brought people hope to live every day. And in a world that's breaking down today, those truths bring us hope to live moment by moment in a way that is countercultural to the world. That the world will say, you believe that? Yeah, I do. And when we believe the truths about who God is and His promises, that affects how we live. It causes us to desire to be walking in holiness. And you see, what we see here is, as I was doing my study, it was interesting because I was looking at Wayne Groom. He's one of my uh, favorite guys with regards to uh, theology, systematic theology. And he was saying in his uh, book how, how God's trustworthiness or truthfulness I'm sorry God's truthfulness and his faithfulness are interchangeable terms but that's that's interesting God's truthfulness and his faithfulness are interchangeable terms God is faithful why is God faithful because God is true he is truth he's absolute truth he's always going to do what he says so what does that mean he's going to be faithful they're tied together they're locked together these two truths about who our God is. We have to understand who He is. You see, when Christians embrace sound doctrine, that's what Paul is focusing on here to uh, Titus, saying sound doctrine, when Christians embrace, not just head knowledge. That's a problem, I think, in the church sometimes. We can... We can Divide and do all these other things. We can take a look at all the truths there and we can have them all stacked up in our head and all nice and aligned in our little bookshelf in our brain, right? But if it never makes it out to the way we live, it's just more information. But what he's saying is that as we grow in our knowledge of God, it's going to affect the way we live. If we're true believers, 
You see, when Christians embrace sound doctrine, the result is hope for the future. And that brings changed and purified lives that produce holy living through regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's about God doing the work in us. He's the one that's doing the work in us. Take a look. Paul talks about that here as well. Look at this. Titus 3, 3 through 8. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. For we ourselves were once. Notice. Verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. We couldn't earn salvation, be good enough. But according to His own mercy, by the washing and of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Christ, Jesus Christ our Savior. The Holy Spirit is doing the work in you and in me. And verse 7, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You see the pattern that's just falling here? The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. He said these things are true. I was talking to someone this week, and my family has a history of uh, dementia. And they said, are you afraid of the future? Are you afraid today of what might happen? And I said to this individual, I said, you know, I, I think everybody's afraid of the pain of anything. But I said, I'm not afraid because I said, I go back to the Word of God. And Jesus made a promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a promise. And I said, and so then I look back and I think, well, he's never left me before. I mean, when I blew out my Achilles, he was there. He helped me through it all. And in the future, I don't know how, but if I fall into this pit of dementia, somehow Jesus is going to be there with me. Well, how can I say that? Well, because it says in the Word of God that He will never leave me for, nor forsake me. And I said, so I may be looking out at you with blank eyes, but I said, I trust that Jesus is, is still hanging on to me. So how does that affect me today? Well, He's never failed me in the past. And he's made a promise for the future. So I can't change anything today. He's still faithful. So if it happens, it happens. I don't look forward to it, but I know this. He will never leave me nor forsake me. Ever. Why? Because he made a promise. And he cannot lie. See, it all rests in God. It rests in Him. We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And that's such 
a statement that we hear all the time, but do you ever let it get down deep inside? Just really deep inside so that it strips away the fears of today. And it causes us to be able to walk in a joy unspeakable that is a testimony to the world. That's what it boils down to for me. You see, what the gospel does is the gospel changes what people intrinsically are. It transforms our nature. We used to be like the Cretans. That's what Paul is saying. And you know what? Without Jesus, we'd still be like them. And even with Jesus, that Cretan nature still comes forward, doesn't it? I know it does in my life. But the gospel is so powerful that it created, it creates a new kind of people with a new eternal future. That's the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul's plan as he looked at this broken culture of Crete was that I'm going to preach the gospel to them. And God in his grace and mercy is going to draw people to himself. And as they're saved, I'm going to develop this knowledge of who God is. And when they start understanding who God is, they're going to start having a hope. Hope that there's a future where there is no more pain and sorrow, where there's no more sin, where I'm in the presence of Jesus. And I'm going to develop that knowledge, and that's going to have an effect because now they're going to have a hope. And it's going to affect their moment-by-moment life. And that's for us today. How the gospel affects us, changes us. It transformed the Cretan culture. It will transform our culture. Even if it's only little pockets. Next week we're going to learn more about this. Paul addressing slavery, how he addressed slavery. It's really great. Izzy did a great job preaching on this a couple of weeks ago in the youth group. We have some excellent youth youth group leaders. We really do. Kate's part of that. And uh, you know, uh, Cassie, we've got just a good team, and God is really using that. So I want to say this in conclusion. God is truth. He's not merely, it's not merely that God does not lie or can't lie, but God is absolute truth. And thus God is the ultimate source of all truth. I think I put this up there, did I? I missed this one, didn't I? This is my last one, right? Okay, that's right. I messed up. No worries. And please hear this. Truth finds its origin in God, its incarnation in Jesus Christ, its expression in the gospel, its present manifestation in the written word of God, the Bible. So our hope of eternal life is assured because God is truth and he always speaks the truth. He cannot lie. And he always does what he says and what he promises. That's how we're sure. Because of who God is. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we stand in awe of you.
You are the true God. You are absolute truth. Everything that comes from you is true. And God, in your wisdom, you have given us a book filled with truth for the world today. Truth from outside of the world. For the world. So I ask you, God, that you would please increase our faith. I love how the man prayed in your word. I believe, help my unbelief. God, would you grow us in faith? Would you cause us to put our hope and our trust in you? And God, when anything conflicts with the word, give us the strength and the faith to stand on your word. And God, we praise you today that you are worthy. You are the true God, filled with glory and power and majesty. And you are seated in the highest place, and you are sovereign over all things. And so we delight in you this day, and we praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.